0: Welcome to a special episode of Broadway Radio. I'm arts and culture writer Ashley Steves. On today's episode, I'm talking with Jessica Blank and Eric Jensen, whose latest docu play, The Line is currently being presented by the Public Theater. Starring Santino Fontana, Arjun Gupta, John Ortiz, Alison Pill, Nicholas Pinnock, Jamie Sheridan, and Lorraine Toussaint, The one-hour play is, as the playwrights call it, a love story to New York City's medical first responders during the COVID-19 pandemic. As you'll hear in the following interview, with previous pieces like The Exonerated, Aftermath, and most recently, Coal Country, these shows usually take a few years for Blank and Jensen to put together, Obviously not the case here with the line, which was created in rapid response during quarantine from anonymous interviews with New York City frontline medical workers. The result is a moving, difficult and necessary play on those who are battling to save lives in a system built to fail. The Line originally premiered live on July 8th via the Public's YouTube channel. It will be on demand through September 1st at 11.59pm after a recent extension. So without further ado, here is my conversation with The Line playwrights Jessica Blank and Eric Jensen. Well, I want to thank you both so much for joining me today to talk about The Line, which had its live premiere from the Public Theater on July 8th and will now run through September 1st digitally. For those who haven't watched it yet, first of all, change that. But it's a new documentary style play crafted from firsthand interviews with New York City medical first responders during the COVID-19 pandemic. I have watched it twice. (laughs) And I guess the only good thing about everything being digital right now is that i i had to take breaks both times to watch it it's so moving but just so difficult and necessary so i want to first of all thank you both for putting the work into all that
1: it's it's the only play that i've ever written that i wish i never had to write
0: right yeah i bet
1: it's uh it's uh it's in, in a lot of ways, it's my love letter to New York city. I've lived in New York yep. uh, since the early nineties and I've lived all over the city, uh, all different kinds of people. And I love the city and I love the people in my city. And, um, I wanted to honor these, uh, first responders in, uh, uh, in a, in a, way that, uh, represented their heroism and their selflessness, you know, cause heroism and selflessness are in short supply these days, I think.
0: So true. The two of you have worked on a lot of these documentary-style shows with this, The Exonerated Aftermath, and most recently, Coal Country. As a journalist, I'm always really fascinated about the work that goes into it, and especially in this case where it's all still unfolding and there's a lot of confidentiality to it all still. So obviously without revealing anything that would break that level of confidentiality in any way. I would really love to hear about how this all came to fruition, both when you two had the idea to do this and then uh, the interview collecting process.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. Well, we had, so, so our show coal country was running at the public theater. We opened March 3rd, Mm -hmm. So we were running at the public theater when everything shut down. Yeah. I had, uh, I had press
0: tickets for, (laughs) I think a few days after the shutdown. So
2: so So. once we are on the other side of this, we will be able to come back. Likewise. Um, so we were, when the theater shut down, we were in really close contact with the public still almost every day. Um, just trying to figure out what was going to happen next. And, you know, because we were actively working together. And in those first few weeks, we were approached by 24 hour plays to do one of their viral monologues. Mm. And he said, sure. Could we do it, you know, documentary style and interview a nurse in New York city. Who's on the front lines? And this would have been late March. And and
1: like putting up one of these plays, usually we take about three or four years to get one of these together.
2: Right,
0: right.
1: But, you know, you know from from journalism that you know carrying somebody's story is an emotional burden. Sometimes, oh,
0: absolutely. There's a, like a, hef- a heft that's added to your own life.
1: Well, yeah, I've talked to a lot of a lot of war journalists and stuff like that, and the stories yep. that they. Tell are the ones that they carry deepest in their hearts, you know. I mean, it's 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 uh anyway. So Jessica was was walking. Yeah,
2: so well, we tunnel. were really affected by yeah. this nurse that we met. And actually, while I was doing outreach trying to find somebody who wanted to speak to us for that, we I got in touch with a lot of different nurses. And um, I think, you know, part of the appeal of our kind of work is that it is both journalistic and dramatic. Yeah. And, you know, we are working with true stories and protecting the truth of them, but the people are also played by actors. So it is totally possible to truly protect, protect someone's anonymity. Sure. Uh, and that nurse that we interviewed, we did interview her anonymously. And um, we we did that piece and it occurred to us, you know, this is a bigger story that our city is living through right now. Mm-hmm. And there's more here, and we approached the public. And, and, and also,
1: just on a, an emotional level, I was feeling like really knocked out and bowled over, you know, and frightened. And as an artist, when I get that way, I need to make some art so I can make <laughs> sense of that. Oh, yeah. Right.
2: right. And so we approached the public and we said, Look, we, you know, have no idea what you guys are doing, you know, and how you're operating right now, but. What would you think about a rapid response online documentary play mm. about subjects? was
0: Was this before they had started producing any yeah. of their online work? Like, yeah. what do we need to talk about? Yeah, Things like been, that. Okay. Yes,
2: it would have been like late March. It was very okay. very early on. It was and and it came up because we were still in active conversation with them around Coal Country, which had just closed, mm, yeah. right? So um, they circled back to us a few weeks later. And they said, we're in, let's do it. And so they, you know, as Eric said, one of these plays usually takes us about three to four years yeah. from concept to production. Because usually we
1: go through a lot of court documents. Sure. And, yeah. Or, uh, you know, writs and all sorts of. And all takes sorts time of material, to find the people we're talking to. Articles.
2: Yeah. Um, and. And so it was really all hands on deck and a little bit like, okay, let's see if we can do it this fast. And, you know, both we and the public, a bunch of folks at the public just started by doing a lot of outreach to medical first responders that we, and they knew personally in New York and just asking for referrals to people who might be willing to talk with us anonymously. Sure. Um, and we wound up interviewing almost twenty people, and the,
1: the reach out was to like a couple hundred people. Yes, like, like mm. the, that was wide. We ended up actually interviewing almost twenty people, and then we narrowed that down to the seven stories that you see in the.
0: Play. What
2: was the deciding factors there in terms of who? Yeah, into the play. Well, yeah. so that's always a very difficult set of choices mm. for our plays because we always interview more people. Then ultimately wind up and you in fall in love
1: with each of them in, in sure. a way. Every know, single like, one of them man. is
2: unbelievably compelling. Man. And so the choices are not about which stories are interesting and which stories are not interesting. Sure. They're all totally compelling. So what we're trying to do with these plays always is tell not only the individual stories of the the people who are portrayed in the play, but also to tell the larger story. Right, so Mm -hmm. the largest
1: story of New York City in particular, in this
2: one, yeah, Yeah. it was the larger story of New York in this crisis, and so we're trying to select the stories that are each going to illuminate different aspects of that story, and that is everything from sort of from demographics to in this case, it was different jobs, right? We Mm want to just Nurses, we wanted to speak to EMTs and paramedics, we wanted to speak to doctors. It was really important. We talked
1: to uh, one of the stories I kept pushing to put into play was a guy who did the intubations. You know, this, oh, is, a, God. this is a respiratory therapist. This is a high skilled, <sighs> not very great paying job, and you're right in the line of fire. And, yeah. and it's 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 the amount of bravery that these guys had to go into the rooms to help people is is astonishing. He was yeah. incredibly yeah.
2: profound. It was hard to not be able to include his story. And and um, and so we wanted to talk to or we wanted to include people who worked at private hospitals and public hospitals mm-hmm. in different boroughs. Um, we it was incredibly important to us to accurately portray the incredible diversity of New York City in general and the but medical also, professions in particular but also in the
1: healthcare services. You know, mm-hmm. It's a it's a it's a very diverse field, you know.
2: And then we're also looking at artistic questions, like we're looking for different kinds of personalities and people who have processed the experience in different ways, different rhythms, different pace. At a,
1: at a certain point, it starts to feel like sort of these solo pieces and you kind of you kind of start mixing them together. Like
0: yeah, <laughs> I thought that a lot watching it. You know, it's like
1: I'm a big Grateful Dead fan. I always love how those <laughs> bands play up each other. And, and for going to Grateful Dead shows, a fairly seamless experience. They go from one song to the next. Mm hmm. And when we were doing the exonerated, um, you know, I, I structured a lot of it on my understanding of Grateful Dead shows and how the actors would play off each other rhythmically. It was a very important part of my formative training.
0: I was going to ask uh, both as far as directing it and putting it together, if that was something that was influenced by doing it as a virtual show rather than a live show
2: how we constructed the structure.
0: Yes. And having everything play off of each other that much, but I mean, that's typical for you guys as well.
2: It is typical for us. And I mean, I think, you know, the different, different stories ask for different kinds of things structurally. Like for Mm -hmm. example, coal country is about a group of people in a single community who all lived through a single event together telling the story of that event. So if you look at what the
1: tied tied together by Steve Rolo's chorus,
2: if you look Mm -hmm. at the pages in the script of that piece, the lines are much more broken up, right? There are fewer long monologues than you would see in another of our pieces, because there are moments where, you know, six people were in the same place at the same time telling the same story. And so they're dovetailing with each other. Right. And almost finishing each other's sentences in this one, we had seven different tracks of seven different individuals who were living through a collective experience, but all from different vantage points. Right. Mm -hmm. They didn't know each other. They weren't in the same community. And so each of them had a bit more of their own track. But in the sections of the script where they start talking more about a collective experience, a particular moment when we started hearing about it over in China, or when we got our first case in my workplace, right. the first week it got crazy, again, they dovetail more with each other. So I think it's less the medium that dictates the structure and more the story.
1: Although in this case, you know, with the medium, um, the medium's really interesting because it's sort of a combination yeah. of. T- and acting and theater acting, right? And and this direct address thing is interesting too because we're always trying to push the form forward. We don't want to repeat the exonerated over and over again. We want to, you know, uh exonerated had these six stories interwoven. And then the next play had a translator. It was called aftermath interviews we did with Iraqi refugees mm-hmm. or, or theater workshop. And that had a translator, so about In Arabic. In and in, in the, and Arabic in the play. So about an eighth of the play was in Arabic and the translator. Yeah. For you, as part of the have read it, incredible. Thank you. Um, and then, and then, you know, with Coal Country, we obviously had Steve Earle singing the songs as kind of a chorus for the piece, in sort of a Greek sense. Mm. And for this, what we've done is, in in a way, it, it strikes me as kind of the most intimate thing we've done because, like, people are actually having the experience that we were having, sitting there in front of a Zoom call and looking at this screen, having this profound experience with somebody who'd gone through something really difficult. Yeah. So we're doing is putting the audience literally in the interviewer's seat, and that that's never really been done uh, uh, with one of our pieces before.
2: Mm. You know, I think it's really- that's
1: wh- that's how we leaned it. We leaned into yeah. that.
2: Yeah. I think it's really important with this online theater stuff. I mean, and of course, people will continue to innovate and will continue to discover new cool ways of playing with the form. But so far, it seems that one thing that's really important is to not fight. The online-ness, right? To not yes, try yes. to replicate the live experience. And so, you know, the nature of this piece is that it was written from quarantine. The interviews were conducted over Zoom with people in their apartments after getting home from a shift. And so we just said, you know, it makes the most sense to actually just recreate that reality.
0: Right. And you're absolutely if you're trying to and I've seen some great, you know, readings of shows throughout quarantine. But once you start to you take a show that was built for the live stage, and you put it on zoom, say it is a very different experience. And you can tell I mean, I certainly am missing like the live theater experience. But then when you see something that is clearly written for online, it's it's, it's, it's much more satisfying. Let me put it that way.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I, you know, it's, it's, I really do believe it's a new medium. I, 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 I'm curious as to whether or not we'll stick with it after quarantine is over, but I am really also, I think this is opening up a lot of institutions to the idea of doing what the Met does when they televise their operas oh, or when yeah. their operas on, they do them on theater screens in some places um, uh, my therapist was actually talking to me about this. She was talking about, you know, she lives up in the Berkshires and they don't get ever ever get to New York and they don't want to mm-hmm. go to New York. And why would you go to New York? Um, <laughs> so, you know, like, you know, the idea of bringing coal country back for a short time and planting seven cameras around the theater and, uh, you know, for a week, bringing in people to see that in from all over the world. I mean, you know, for the line, there were people in 20 countries in all 50 states watching wow. this play.
0: Yeah, yeah what is
1: more public than that you know and if we could do it right it could be could be pretty cool but you know like that's just me that's that's not you know official in oh any way. no
0: i mean accessibility is but, yeah. in theater is one of my biggest uh things that i'm interested in so i absolutely agree with you there I
1: and mean, that helps people like you know maybe there's people who are like you know in beds that can't like walk or something that like can't make it to the theater maybe mm-hmm. they're or older who don't feel safe going to this. Or who theater. just live
2: in a different geographic or location who in, 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 or in can't rural, afford
1: it. Or people who grew up. Right. I grew up in a town of 8, 500 people. Do you know how badly I would have loved to have been able to sit down and oh, watch?
0: Yes. You know, oh, like,
1: yes. Like oh, yes. Like every night on my television. That would be
0: amazing. That's you know? life changing. Absolutely. As far as doing the interviews for this, did you go into it kind of having an arc in mind that you wanted to tell? Did you get that from the interviews you were doing? Because I think, you know, for better or worse, this is a show that could feasibly have been at least five hours long if you're just aiming to share stories of medical professionals and frontline pandemic workers because they're not really being listened to right now.
2: I mean, I think we always let... The interviews teach us what the story is. Mm. Right. We go in, obviously, with some preconceptions, some ideas, some, some research, you know, research yeah. that we've done. Like we don't choose our subjects lightly. Right. So we've always thought about it to some extent. But then we really see our job is as being a conduit, right? So when we are in interviews we are receiving the story from the people who lived it and we are we're listening for resonances we discover structural connections as we're doing the interviews and we start hearing things repeat we start hearing shapes of things but we don't come in with a preconceived idea of what that is we let the people teach us what that is and then it's our job to turn that into the form of the piece yeah
1: it it's sort of with with the line in particular uh sometimes it's like sculpting sometimes it's like working on a piece of marble with mm. the line this thing this thing is sort of it kind of emerged from all of the sirens and all of the pain and all of the darkness that had been in the city i saw these these bright rays of light emerge from the page um it was it was a really uh beautiful experience to see all those talented actors in, in a live yes. setting, you know, across three different time zones come together and like, you know, play great music together. It was st- mm-hmm. stunned by them. They're just, uh, and, and also, you know, a shout out to our technical staff. They created,
2: yeah.
1: they created, a, they created something that has no platform. It's Ido, right? Yeah.
2: Ido LeVron was our technical director and mm. he created, he created a platform. He basically, we would we rehearsed in ordinary Zoom meetings, but then as we were rehearsing, he set up like a command center with like seven computers. Oh wow! In the human theater at the public, and he fed each actor's Zoom feed into an individual computer, and then he had another platform that he created where he could basically do the equivalent of live TV editing. Right. So That's we incredible. had a stage manager calling for the cuts from one feed to another feed. And we had a tech where we rehearsed all of that. And then it was called live and Ido edited it live. Yeah. Wow. Which, I mean, we, and we were figuring it out as we went. It was a pretty extraordinary thing to <laughs> get to. Some things never change. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah opening night was was quite stressful
0: (laughs) i believe it i believe it
1: but you know there's one other thing that i'm sorry i interrupted you i don't know go ahead um there's one other thing that i want to say you know like like in particular like right now this is an act of service um it's it's this is not about us this is not about the play it's not about the public theater it's about getting the Getting the word out to people in different parts of the country who might be scared and confused yes, and in the same yes. place we were in March because we made a lot of mistakes as a city, but we but we also like really pulled together and like I just like everybody's gonna have to get there eventually. I just like would love it if everybody got there together sooner. So, so seeing- true. Play, like really can like, you can like actually do something to help your community that's really simple. And, and, and it involves a few simple things and it'll, it'll make all of this go quicker and then we'll figure it out on the other side, you know? Um, so like, I want people in Texas and Florida and Colorado and and mm-hmm. so any other place that gets afflicted. Like, I, I want to get this out to, to people there too, you know? So
0: And people are seeing it there, too, which is really incredible, as you mentioned already, with accessibility. Yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah.
1: We heard about it when it was in China. You know, something happening over there.
0: We started talking about it in February, but I was just focused on surviving my first intern year. I wasn't even wearing a mask back then. You just feel like you're being dramatic.
1: The information that we have is that it wasn't affecting healthy young people. And I just thought something that's far away is far away. And right now I have people in front of me that need my care. I can't be worried about something that's not here yet. That's the government's job.
0: I think mid-January I said, okay, this is going to be interesting because look at New York City. I mean, how many people ride the trains? How many people ride the buses? We're all just keeping a wary eye.
1: I pay attention to the news. As paramedics, you're always looking at different articles and going, Yo, check this study out. We've been talking about COVID for a minute. Like, yo, check it. China has another thing going on. Yo, we got to be careful because you got to understand, we went through Ebola, right? You had Zika virus. You had Ebola. You had the West Nile. You had H1N1, SARS. We were like, yo, what if it comes over here?
2: I left my last job at the end of December and I took February off to go to Southeast Asia for five weeks Vietnam, Thailand, Singapore, and Indonesia. Wuhan was happening even before I left, but, you know, I studied statistics and epidemiology for many, many years, and the data that was coming out, you know, I'm a healthy young person, and Vietnam had a total of of 16 cases in the whole country, but my family were calling, and they were like, get home ASAP, because they're going to shut travel down, so I flew from there to Hong Kong, and then Hong Kong to the U.S., and there was nobody
1: on my flight,
0: so, Did everything go into the show verbatim from the interviews?
2: Were things dramatized a bit? So when we write these plays, we tend to say that about 98% of the words okay. are as people said them to us. So occasionally we will tweak a sentence to, clarify sure sure right if like what somebody's saying we understand what they were saying but there are words that are confusing or somebody tells half a joke sometimes we'll follow it (laughs) sure right um but most of or adding
1: pauses sometimes is really effective like somebody will say something sometimes people say the most profound things and just skate over them
2: oh yeah but Mm. most of the crafting because there is a huge amount of crafting involved i mean you know the some of our plays are written from, te- you know, 45 page scripts that come Absolutely, out of 10,000 yeah. pages of material. Right? right. So there are massive choices and, and massive structuring like this really is writing, right? Yeah. Most of the crafting is sculptural yeah, more than it is, you know, changing an individual sentence or anything like that. We work actually very hard, hard to preserve the rhythms of people's speech Mm. and people's language, but, you know, we, but we'll take something from, as long as it doesn't change the meaning of what somebody was trying to say, we'll take something from minute 10 of the interview and bump it up against something they said two hours later, right. And put that together and then sort of sculpt and shape
1: to show that, or or just to show a complete idea, you know, like people talk in circles sometimes. Sure, know, sure. It's it to a truer sort of thing. You know?
0: How do the actors deal with that then? Because the cast is incredible. Uh, are they? Is everything on the page for them? Like, are you writing their the interviewees' cadence onto the page? Are they also listening to the interviews firsthand as well? No, we we don't don't
2: let them do that. That's what I figured. That's what I figured. Everybody always wants to. But I think, you know, the thing is, as actors, we know this, like when you play a real person who is a well-known person, people have an image of that person, right? So then there's an obligation to watch video and mimic their mannerisms. I played played
1: Thurman Munson in The Bronx is Burning.
2: Oh,
0: God, yeah. 30
1: pounds heavier than me. So I gained all this weight and did all the research. And wait, it was a great exercise, but it's very different from this. This is... Like, you know, people's people's physical being exists in their words. It's kind of incredible. We'll yeah. do these interviews with people that we know and see, and then we'll hand the, tra- the raw transcript to an actor. And before you know it, they're moving and talking the way this person spoke right. to us. I mean, mm-hmm.
2: usually we workshop our material very heavily. We develop our plays in workshops with actors. So we will bring in the raw transcripts and work them for two weeks to get them into monologues right. with actors, and then we'll come back and have another workshop where we refine and shape it. And we couldn't do that in the same way here. We did more work on the page than we usually do. So by the time it got to the actors, it was more really like a play already um but nevertheless we work very very hard to preserve people's speech patterns and speech rhythms and you know i find as a director often if somebody is new to this kind of work in particular i have to really you know because actors we're, especially the ones we work with, they work really hard and they have yeah. really great work ethics and they really want to do right by the people. And so there's often a sense of obligation of like, I should be watching video, I should be listening. Sure. Them, like I want to get it right. But what that does is it creates a kind of outside in. Type of work, which I think that they're not obligated to, and what we've seen over and over, as Eric is saying, with how much of our psychology and even our physicality and who we are in our bodies is contained in our words. That if you really tap into that as a performer, everything is there. And so I often have to tell actors a couple of times, just trust it and play the language like you would play Shakespeare, right? Mm, not in the sense yeah. our writing as Shakespeare, but in the sense of you are playing on the text. The commas are exactly where they should be. The periods are exactly where they should be. These are all keys to the rhythm of this person's speech. And once you click into that, and it's, I see it happen with our actors over and over <laughs> and over again, it's just like they find it, and everything is just there. once.
1: Once, once it happened like two on the same day. This <laughs> is <just> like, oh, <laughs> oh,
2: that's what you mean?
1: So, you feel so you know blessed. Yeah. You know, you know everybody, everybody in their own time. But you know, it's it's. uh, you know, I, I, uh, the, the outpouring of, 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 kind words about it has been, has been satisfying, but you know, it doesn't belie the fact that we're in a crisis and that these people are trying to save mm-hmm. us. And- they're trying to save us from ourselves, and they're working really, really yes, hard. Yes, yes, you
0: know? yeah. I don't, I don't want to take up too much of your time, much more of your time. But you, I'm glad you described it as an act of service because it's very specific to this moment. You mentioned that it would, like, the show starts when they were hearing about the virus and building to like their first week on the job, where it would start to get crazy, and then, of course, you know, you have all these. Terrible stories that have just been progressing. Uh, I I wanted to talk to you a little bit about the challenges of writing and/or creating work about the pandemic during the pandemic when it's so ever changing.
2: Hmm. Um. I mean, I think you know there were a few. I, first of all, I should say actually before we get into the challenges that mm-hmm. it was a tremendous gift to us, oh, made yeah. possible only by the moment and by. Online theater and the nature of it to get to respond to what was happening as it was happening. Ordinarily, you know, we make work that is very responsive to real things in the real world, but ordinarily it takes years to get a play produced, right? So there's always a delay, and that can be tricky when part of your nature as an artist is also as a citizen journalist, Mm -hmm. right? So it was really incredible to get to respond directly as things were happening. And that's and, all the
1: public theater. We couldn't have done it without Absolutely. We could mm-hmm. never
2: have done it without them. That was but, wonderful. But in terms but of
1: pandemic it, is... But it,
2: yeah. And I mean, one of the things that I think was really, it was tough for us emotionally, um, and also a great gift ultimately, was that ordinarily when we make one of these shows, we travel to do the interviews. We leave our mm-hmm. home and we go someplace else and we talk to people whose experience is different from ours, Right. And learn from them, um, and there's a <clears throat> sort of distance, not in the interviews. our interviews are always extremely intimate, but then oh. we can go and then we can leave at the end right there and they're and we're talking to people who are different from us and live in different communities and different places, right? This was like about our home right. right, so we're not. Medical first responders, but we are New Yorkers, and we were doing this as we were living through it, and we were in the same trauma that everyone in the city was in, so that what and we didn't leave our even leave our home to do the interviews right um, we would put our kid to bed mm-hmm. and then hop on the computer right so There was no distance emotionally for us from this process, and we were implicated in the stories and close to the stories emotionally in a way that I think was new for us with the documentary work. So it was really intense. Um, The interview process was was unusually intense, Um, and we were all because we were living through it too
1: more more than more than just the pandemic and this this has to do with the public execution of George Floyd in Minneapolis. Oh yeah. Yeah. From, I went to high school there. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, uh, I love that city. Um, uh, I felt that very deeply and I, something started to change in me on, on doing these interviews. I realized that that kind of systemic relate racism that that's so easy to see in a, in a, in a place like in a, in a police department, that's kind of all oh, yeah. we're talking about right now. Um,
0: and, and that even, and then that comes through in the play. Cause you even talk about, there's the one doctor who says, I, I couldn't tell you when I last saw a white person deliver my Grubhub or DoorDash order. It's, you know, it's black and Brown bodies carrying everybody through this because right. they have to. Well,
1: and this play made me realize that really that it's everywhere and that it's not just that the system is broken the system is actually working how it's designed. Yep. Yep. It's designed to treat people like their equipment. And I, 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 I just, you know, like everybody in this country, regardless of your color, your, 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 your religion, your creed, where you're from, what your political beliefs are, we've all been had. And, you know, like if this virus exposed anything, it's that. And, and it's not working for anybody. Right. So we need to start again. And, you know, um, you know, I don't think our play says that that's just what I'm saying, but the play, the experience of doing the play brought me to that. And that's, and that's after considering myself to be a relatively awake person. I Mm -hmm. I did not see the systemic racism in the medical system before we did this play. I just didn't see it because, you know, I'm a cis white guy.
2: And I think, you know, in terms of the sort of rapid response, real timeness of it all, that, I mean, that was an interesting thing to navigate because we finished the interviews a few days before George Floyd was murdered. And we Mm -hmm. had already been hearing about the disparate impact on communities of color of the COVID crisis and the systemic racism inherent in the medical system in New York City, and the differences between public and private hospitals, and what populations actually get good medical care, and what populations don't, and and who so, can
1: social distance, who right, has that privilege, right, right, you right. Know, so that excitement. was
2: all already who ha- who doesn't have to go to work exactly, right. and who can isolate themselves in their apartment because they're not living in a one bedroom with three or four family members, yeah, so. Um that was all already part of the play we knew, and then George Floyd was murdered, and that became part of the moment that we were in also and there was no way to write this play without acknowledging that in. Definitely. Some form especially because it was coming out so quickly, right? It was like oh, yeah. part of the. So we couldn't go back and re-interview everybody and start from scratch, but we did by that point have a good sense of which stories were going to go into play. And we went back and interviewed several of the people specifically about... George Floyd and about the connections between systemic racism and the policing system and systemic racism and the medical system and so, sort of creating some of that connective tissue so that mm. the play could speak to that because it would have been irresponsible not to.
1: Yeah. But I hope, I hope this play is the artifact of a moment. You know, I'm, I'm hopeful about medical research. Um, you know, I met some really smart people who are on the front lines of, the, of medicine and there's people behind them who are working equally hard to, you know, come up with vaccines and stuff so we can all get well. And, 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 mm-hmm. it, but it just requires us to look out for each other for a little while and stop fighting, you know?
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh the line will be available until September 1st via the Public Theater's YouTube channel. Please watch it once, twice, three times if you haven't already. Jessica Eric, thank you so much for talking with me today and for writing this just wonderful, pertinent love letter. Thank
2: you. Thanks for, your for having time. us.